This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Bill.com. As a listener, you've probably heard Blake and I speak about Bill.com on numerous occasions. It feels like they're discussed monthly in either new news or new announcements. But I'm betting there are some things you don't know about Bill.com. Did you know customers use Bill.com platform to process over $70 billion in payments for the 2019 fiscal year? That they partner with several of the largest U.S. financial institutions like Bank of America, PNC, and Chase? More than 70 of the top 100 U.S. accounting firms use Bill.com. Bill.com not only connects to all the popular accounting software providers, they also connect to many of your favorite apps as well. To learn more about how Bill.com's AI-enabled financial software platform creates connections between businesses and helps manage cash inflows and outflows, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bill. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-I-L-L. To me, it's not about billable hours, about reoccurring revenue. It's about how you think about how you're going to create the most economic value for your clients. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. And I'm David Apple from Sage Intact. David Apple from Sage Intact. What do you do at Sage Intact? Well, it's a fantastic job. It's got a title, but what I really do is spend time talking to our customers and industry thought leaders and investors about how do you build a great business and uh, what do people need in order to become successful there? Then we take that into the product because there's this old adage, the best salespeople don't sell, instead they help people buy. So I get to spend all day long finding out what people are really hoping for and accomplishing and then we put that into a great product and help them be successful with it. So you're like that guy that was in the uh, office space that like takes the customers and takes that note and then delivers it over to the engineers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably like a lot of characters in the office space. Okay. That was a funny movie. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Uh, and I should mention that we are here live at Sage In. Intact Advantage at the MGM Grand Conference Center in front of the big, beautiful digital Intact Advantage sign and in the rotunda here. And it's Vegas, baby. It's Vegas. We're right? sorry all of you uh, listening are missing out because we're having a great time. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about the MGM Grand that uh, I don't understand from like a, just a design perspective is that they made it so people coming from the hotel have to walk past the pool to get to the conference center. Right, so you're watching everybody yeah, out that's there. that's a problem. <laughs> having fun. And for those of you who haven't been to Vegas, walk is the operative word because like people, someone, I talked to somebody yesterday at 21,000 steps. It's just like, my goodness. But it's good because then when you go out and you indulge uh, dinner and drinks and whatnot, like you've already earned the calories. The calories are there. So it's good. You know, I like to look and see what interesting things people are talking about. And I think I noticed that you're talking about SaaS and subscription businesses. And I'm like, great. Like that's... Everybody's yeah, like, hot. oh, move, you know, kill the bill hour or go to subscription businesses. So I'd love to get your points of view on it. What's your thoughts on it? Um, and we'll kind of wiggle around a conversation. Yeah. So just a little context, right? Our uh, folks listening are generally accountants and bookkeepers. Hi, everybody. Hey, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's all these uh, thought leaders in the profession talking about we've got to move to subscription-based pricing. And so I, I imagine there's a lot of parallels between what you do talking to people in the SaaS world and the software world and the subscription economy, what should accountants learn from that world? Oh, man. Well, uh, having spent a lot of time with a lot of you, you're already well on top of a lot of the things. So maybe some of this might be sharpening the saw for you. But it's just, if you can do something one time versus do something once and it continue to repeat, there's just a lot of lift that comes from that. There's economic lift. There's a lot of personal validation that comes from it. And so all of you... We've got great skills that where you're helping your clients. You could do it once, but then have it be repeatable value for them and everybody else. Why wouldn't you do it? That's how you create 
not only job satisfaction, sense of personal validation, but a lot of economic value. I'd like to take it further because I don't think people have ever put it in that perspective before because it's always been like, oh, the more efficient you get, you can't really bill for less time, you'll make less money. But I like this concept that I've, I kind of read between the lines, which you just said, this concept of think about it is not only are you billing your revenue on a monthly basis, you're providing value on a monthly basis. And I, I don't think, Adam Blake, have you ever heard anybody kind of phrase it that way before? Well, it's about charging for your knowledge, right? Not for the work that you're doing, right? Not for the plugging in the numbers. Uh, what if I tell it in a story? Yeah, please. So I'm yeah. blessed with five mentors 20 years older than I am. And one of them told me this story once, and those of you listening may have heard it before, about the French cathedral builder. In the 14th century in medieval France, there was a cathedral builder hustling down the dirt road, and he passed three people stacking bricks. He said to the first one, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm stacking bricks. Oh, okay. Passed the second one, what are you doing? Oh, I'm stacking bricks to build a wall. Oh, Okay. Passes the third one, what are you doing? I'm stacking bricks to build a wall in order to learn how to build a cathedral one day. You fast forward in the future, first person's dead, second person's barely scraping by. Guess what the third person's doing? Building the cathedral. Building cathedrals. So for all of you out there, uh, delivering some sort of asset and billing in return for that time, it's great. It's critical. It's stacking bricks. You can't build anything without it. Doing that in a way in which you can uh, provide some long-lasting economic value because you're helping... The client understand the problem is critical. That's building the wall, but doing it in a way in which it's long lasting and it gets shared across multiple people so the company don't just solve a functional problem, but really build a better business by understanding their economic model and how they're bringing it to their customers to maximize value creation and then share it across to everybody. That's very charismatic. It's very fulfilling and that's building the cathedral. And so I challenge the notion, and I know that you guys asked the question the way that you did. To me, it's not about billable hours, about reoccurring revenue. It's about how you think about your, how you're going to create the most economic value for your clients and for as many people at once as possible. I like that. Do it once and affect many clients yeah, with that one action. Let's just right? use a classic the mid-size accounting firm for those of you who work at that. You've got an audit team. You've got a tax team. You've also got an advisory team. Perhaps you have a M&A transaction services team. So how do you do one M&A transaction services advisory job, but then take that asset to understand how maybe you're great in life science firms so you can bill better for that, but then you also build an asset that they can use in order, like whatever the cap table is going to look like or something that gets repeated and used over and over because that's how the partnership builds maximum profit. And that's an issue in a lot of firms is the silos that exist, right? Tax doesn't talk to audit, doesn't talk to M&A, doesn't talk to the outsourced accounting folks, really. Right, so. Yeah, it comes down to compensation models. Yeah. And I would challenge, and I don't know if people on the phone agree with me, but I've spent a lot of time with accounting firms. The model is built in the 60s and 70s. It still serves as the limited liability partnership model for a lot of firms. They're not finding it as compelling, and the wealth creation for a lot of new employees isn't as compelling for that. So you're you see these profit models that are getting shared across the partnership, across divisional lines in order to encourage selling multiple service lines to any one given client. And you've seen the comp models change that way. But then again, to maximize it, do it with recurring revenues. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by TeamPay. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to automatically enforce spend policies and gain full transparency into requests for funds, all the way to reconciliation? And what if you could do that while empowering your employees to buy what they need when they need it? TeamPay gives total control and real-time visibility into spending. 
TeamPay's distributed spend management platform automates the purchasing workflow and gives you proactive controls and real-time visibility over company spend. And TeamPay also empowers your employees with a user-friendly purchasing experience. When employees make a request, TeamPay automatically enforces policies, issues intelligent payments, and automatically sends the transaction data to your accounting system pre-coded. To learn more about how TeamPay modernizes how you manage spending, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash TeamPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash T-E-A-M-P-A-Y. What are some of your favorite subscription businesses? that you've seen out there? Us, Sage Intact. <laughs> if you don't already have a relationship with us, boom, go, call us, call me right now. Operators are standing by. <laughs> What's that hotline number? Yeah. But do it from the Cloud Accounting Podcast webpage so they get their traffic up. Uh, so lots of our listeners are familiar with the... You know, I didn't answer his question. Oh, yeah. oh you didn't hey, answer. You want to move over, Blake. Oh, no, I, 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 thought you were, I thought you were like pivoting away. No, no. <laughs> Please go ahead. Oh, my gosh. You name an industry. There's like I, I'm, of course, very uh, excited about a lot of our customers. I yeah. could go on down the list about the ways that they're building their businesses. Uh, and of course, many of our uh, partners that are out there, they're uh, great firms. Um, I'll pull one out that I'm, uh, and we've got many of them. So the ones that I don't mention right now, please don't send me hate mail that I didn't mention you. But I'm just going to pick one of Clifton Larson Allen. Fantastic firm. And the way, some of the ways they built reoccurring revenue is mm-hmm. first off, they have an outsourced accounting platform, which the Shared Service Center gives some labor arbitrage. But then also they've built a very great practice in nonprofit with their Sage Intact practice. So they've got a lot of intellectual property that they bring from not only deploying us, but then advising different sectors in the nonprofit industry with a lot of the competency that they have before. That's two. That's an example of one uh, partnership. Let me just give an example. We um, were doing this at uh, Sage Intact Advantage, and in my industry keynote that we did yesterday, I had a firm come up uh, called Acquia, and Acquia is a leader in Drupal deployments and uh, marketing assets for how you really build big web pages. And they were challenged with how they're going to adapt their billing model in order to change without getting too complicated mm-hmm. how the marketing department spend was going. And they put us uh, in place and created some really innovative revenue uh, billing models with a revenue model that worked for them. But doing both of those allowed them to, um, let me think about how to say this the right way, understand their cash flow and be able to forecast their cash flow because it was a reoccurring subscription model. And with that confidence, they had a competitor coming into one of their uh, niche markets and trying to box them out. And they were able to accelerate funding and headcount and marketing to have a compete product to that, which fended off the firms, which got churn up and then customer lifetime value up. And that and many other things that they've done as a great culture, they just had a billion-dollar unicorn uh, exit with an acquisition by Vista Equity. So there's Clifton Larson Allen as an accounting example. There's Acquia as a reoccurring revenue model example because they're able to think ahead further on forecast and cash flow in order to make big business decisions. And there's a million examples like that. So for those not as familiar with what Sage and Tech is, I often hear it described as the second accounting system that a company will use. They'll graduate mm. from something else, right? Uh, from a, 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 For small business. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so at what point, you know, I'm an accountant advising my clients on what software to use. At what point do have they gotten too big for that first solution? I'm thinking specifically for software and SaaS yeah, and yeah. whatnot. I mean, and again, to those of you listening, I'm trying to keep this very straightforward. 
we found a number of triggers that happen. People start off on QuickBooks or something like that. It's very simple. It's cash-based accounting. They're trying to get product market fit to design a product that customers are going to want. Mm-hmm. But then knock on wood, that happens. They get excited, and now they make a couple more finance hires. And like one of three triggers generally happens. Four triggers, pardon me. First off, they hire somebody with great accounting and finance background says, boy, we got to put the infrastructure in place to scale. That's straightforward. So you as the accountant, when you see those hires start coming in, Let's go. So they got the controller, the VP finance. Second is when they have multiple entities that they need to consolidate. Uh, The third thing is some volume item happens, either a number of invoices or number of revenue schedules, and you just want to get out of doing it with elbow grease and Excel. The models start breaking down, the spreadsheets start getting complicated. And fourth is you want to start being able to plan further, and you you want to think ahead and not look backwards. So again, those of you listening right now, and you're advising your clients, look for one of those four triggers, and that's generally the transition point. That is super helpful. Because I I myself, even though I live in the world of accounting technology, it's hard to know when something that's really fun and shiny and does a lot of things is appropriate, right? When do you make that move? Yeah, it's interesting to to put it into a spreadsheet perspective. I remember a few years back talking to a QuickBooks customer at one time, and it was like, oh, I had a, a spreadsheet with 50 tabs in it. And that's how we knew it's time to get off of that and move to like mm. a small accounting package. But then one of the customers today, I think it's Sage Intact in the keynote, had it was ridiculous. They had Four, 700 spreadsheets. And, and 400 workbooks. I don't know. And yeah. thousands of tabs, right? And their spreadsheet. And it's just like the perspective is completely different, right? And like that's where you probably, okay, if you're, you're into hundreds and hundreds of workbooks, you probably need to jump up to something bigger. My father would say people change with pain. And uh, it's only when the pain becomes unbearable do they make the change. But... There's that class of buyers and there's other class who's been through it before and don't want to put themselves through that pain and do it proactively on the earlier side because ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When we started recording, I think you said something along the lines of the best salespeople don't sell, they help people buy. Yeah. What, is it, what do you mean by that? Well, everybody's in sales, right? So um, everybody on the, listening to this, right? It's because you're always trying to help make something happen. But I think sales has gotten a really bad rap, a bunch of swarmy, uh, like, hey. Used car salesman. Know, I, yeah. Boy, I got a deal for you, right? That's yeah. not what happens. People create their own interests because they want to solve something in their lives, make something better. And then they go looking for answers in order to find it. And then you help them problem solve to see how they're really going to get there better. And so the trick really is to understand that Wayne Gretzky quote, skate to where the puck's going where I spend a lot of my time in order to help people fulfill that. I hope, is that example, did that answer no. answer your question? I think so. I, I, I've seen this happening more and more because um, I'm on the marketing side of things a lot these days where... If you guys haven't seen some of Blake's marketing, <laughs> you got to check it out. It is <laughs> top notch. Well, so you know, I, I did a lot of CPE webinars the last two years and I found that people really liked when we offered as much educational content as we could possibly stuff into our webinars. And instead of trying to stick the product in unnecessarily and, and really like sell that product, because a lot of times I think in webinars, it's a bait and switch, right? You sign up for the webinar and uh, you end up just getting a product demo, right? Yep. And it's are it's these, advertised. Are these your webinars? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like, so, so the way I approached it was, I, I, well, I'm a CPA and I want actual CPE. And I feel like if we're gonna have this requirement to get 40 hours of CPE every year or whatever, right? Then we should, you know, we shouldn't just be checking the box, right? 
we should be actually getting meaningful content. So like I view that as my mission when I create CPE is like it's not just checking the box for people, it's giving them you know, good informative content. And when, when you do that on the marketing side, when you actually just educate people and you, the product is just there to, uh, as the platform, and you're teaching them something, and you're not giving them a demo, you're just teaching them something and you happen to be using whatever it is you sell, that sells itself, right? That's What's and, the providing value. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's like that. And if we take it back to our point of this discussion, you do it in a repeatable way so it's reoccurring. Yeah. Value. The, uh, the, uh, we never got down to the on-demand webinars, which I would love to be able to do, do them once. See, then, uh, to oversimplify the world, most people go through three stages of when yeah. all of a sudden they have, a, oh my gosh, I have a problem stage. And then they're like, what are my options stage? And then it's, how do I pick from my options stage? So for all of you on listening to this, right, and you're trying to think about adding more value to your client interview some of your clients to say, what problems did you realize that you had? And then look for those, that's back to the triggers of, oh my gosh, I got a problem. Mm -hmm. And then have the ideas through that next step of what are my options and how am I going to choose? Because all of you, all is a big word, most of you are independent and you're just trying to help your client find the best solution. So have some preparation on uh, how, how to help them make the decision. That's where you bring a lot of value. So Talk to your clients. Listen. Your Listen to your clients. That, that's that's much better. Do you think, I mean, everything's changing in the subscription economy. Do you think there's going to be any point where it starts to tip to where there's subscription fatigue? And like, what I mean by that Ooh. is like, I, I think I screwed up and I had my Amazon subscribe and save and I got a bunch of stuff shipped to me that I really didn't need right then. And like, because I didn't have time to manage the subscription. It's almost like our subscriptions actually causing me more headaches now. I don't know. Well, I, I hear this from folks uh, who have, you know, a dozen accounting and finance applications and their team now, that they're, they're, they're like, well, my spend on software has suddenly jumped annually, <laughs> right? I got 10 things I'm paying for, right? I used to be able to just to pay for one. Well, there's apps that have popped up now that will let you track all your SaaS prescriptions and then they'll help yeah. you cancel them if you have too many. And that, that's just software SaaS. I mean, I'm getting razor blades and like, is, at what so point- You're, you're talking about it on the consumer side. On all sides, like yeah. just, I'm subscribed to like 500 things it feels like. It's hard to track, it really is. You know, I'd, I'd slice that from one time from subscription instead of thinking about it of opt-out versus opt-in. Now, I'm a very big fan personally and on the business side is it's uh, opt-in. So for those of you who don't know, opt-out means you're automatically committed and you have to say that you don't want it. It's like a privacy statement from your financial institution. Opt-in is it's not coming unless you choose. And then yeah. at that time of choice, be thoughtful. Well, speaking of subscriptions and actually a company that's doing it right, I love Expensify's model because we've talked about this before on the show, I think, David. You can sign all of your employees up for their app and you only pay for the ones that use it that month. Nifty. So you don't have to think about how many users do I have? Am I going to have so to That's upgrade? where a lot of my time goes is yeah. advising clients on uh, what the potential billing models are. Yeah. And there, people sometimes spend too much time looking at their billing button and trying to pick which billing model to choose. But instead, you think about what business problem your client's trying to solve and then how they're likely to best solve that. And then you match your billing model to that decision-making process. And just to say one thing is, back to the reoccurring revenue model, once you solve that problem for them, then you can just keep driving reoccurring revenue time after time. Because in that example, to Expensify, was word builds that this is, oh my gosh, a great way of doing uh, expenses. 
then more more people just yeah. sign up. And, and I think a firm owner could actually utilize that with trying to reassure their their own clients, right? Like, hey, here's the here's our base subscription fee, and we charge subscription for these other services. But if that month or that quarter you don't need that service, don't worry, you're not going to have to pay for it, right? And and kind of have a scalable yeah, like subscription that. model. It makes sense. Yeah, because I think that's one of the the big hesitation points for clients that are you're trying to switch from an hourly to a subscription is they think, well, maybe I'll be better. Why are you trying to switch me? Like, maybe I'll be better off if I don't, if I just use you hourly. So I challenge the firm owners and and, uh, leading partners at the firms to only try to solve problems that have lasting long-term need so that it's not going to happen. Because, you know, any given accounting firm has many, many service lines, but a few are the big profit drivers. And the big profit drivers because of the biggest problems people want to have solved. So create your business model and culture to solve those problems. Yeah, that's, so th- that's what I've seen some firms doing is uh, giving away the bookkeeping that they used to charge hourly for and putting clients on a subscription for VCFO consulting, yeah, yeah. right? That's a great idea. It ends up, maybe it ends up being the same, but psychologically it's very different when you're getting that bookkeeping for free now, mm. right? You're not afraid to call your bookkeeper every day mm-hmm. if you need to, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Proactively solve problems. So uh, if people want to continue this conversation with you and track you down on the interwebs, uh, how would they get a hold of you, Dave? Shoot me an invitation on LinkedIn, David Apple at Intact. I'd love to get and engaged. Just so it's uh, spelled how? Oh, sorry. David and Apple is A-P-P-E-L. Looks like Appel. Je m'appelle Appel. So you and Tim Apple are not no relation there. No. Okay. It's actually a pretty popular Danish last name. Oh, interesting. Cool. Well, guys, I had a great time. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank Bye. you.